Thank you, ladies. Is that the first time we've done that song? No? I was really blessed. uh, Just a reminder of what the real answers are. Um, Today, Pastor Webster is not able to be with us. He sends you his greetings. He always texts me at the... as we're getting started, so uh, he sends you his his greetings. He's down in the Central Valley. As I said earlier, he's helping out with a church that's putting on a large uh, program down there, and um, he'll be back next Sabbath. Um, we are starting today um, a, a series of messages that will carry us toward Christmas. Um, we'll see how we do. Um, we're probably our, our goal is to finish. Right around Thanksgiving, maybe just before Thanksgiving. We'll see. But you'll see why we're wanting to finish before Thanksgiving. It's because we're doing the book of Ecclesiastes. Have you read the book of Ecclesiastes? If you haven't, you should. You should. I think it is especially profound for our times and for our generation. Now, um, it was probably four, maybe five years ago that a member of our church asked if we would do a series on the book of Ecclesiastes, and it just took us this long to work it into the to things and get everything ready to go, and uh, because we had a bunch of other things we were planning on doing as we, as we sort of prepped for it. But I want you to understand Ecclesiastes as it is a reflection at the end of life, okay? Ecclesiastes is someone looking back over their life, over their history, and telling you what they've experienced. I had a friend when I was um, in Lodi. I was, when I was in Lodi as a, a young youth pastor, I was, I was there twice. And the first time I was uh, about 23, 24 years old. The second time when I came back, I was about 25, 26 years old. Uh, maybe 26, 27. And my friend was going through a midlife crisis. Okay? So clearly he was not 25 or 26. Um, he was about 45, maybe 50-ish. And he said, this is horrible. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, I feel inadequate. I feel, I feel like I'm, I've lost my adulthood or I lost my manhood. I've become an old man overnight. I can't do the things I used to do. I can't, I can't hardly do uh, the things I want to do. He said, my body doesn't respond the way I wanted it to. I can't run as fast. I can't jump as high. I can hardly hold the hammer up and work over my head without my hand going numb. And he just started going on about all the things that were sort of the, the wheels were falling off of his physical body, which had always stood strong for him up to this point. He said, this is horrible. He said, I'm going to write this all down and tell you how crazy this is so that when you go through it, you at least have an idea of what's coming. He failed me. I don't know if he wrote it down or not, but I never saw it. I do. I can tell you he bought a Porsche. He bought a Turbo Carrera. And we cruised around the valley in that a little bit. That was my benefit of his midlife crisis. He didn't buy leather pants. or Back then he would have bought a, a silk shirt and then buttoned it down to here with about a dozen chains and one giant gold medallion. You, you're laughing because you know that's what was going on, right? 
Well, this is Solomon looking back over that crisis he was experiencing, over the life he led, and he's saying to the people who are coming after him, I have something for you. I'm, I want to give you a heads up about what's going on in life. Now, my friend was a pretty sanguine guy. I'm pretty sure had he written it down, part of the reason he probably didn't write it down was because he was a sanguine guy. But as a pretty sanguine guy, he would have probably said, you know, this is terrible. This is what's going on. And it would have been kind of a, I don't know, semi-lighthearted approach. Solomon's a very introspective guy. And he's got a lot of sort of melancholy tones to his thinking. And so as Solomon begins to write this thing down, it comes in pretty heavy. When he starts reflecting on his life, it gets pretty heavy. So I was looking at this and I was thinking, what do we call this? What do we do with this? Pastor Greg and I were wondering what what to call it. And I wanted to pull out this one word, this one phrase, under the sun. It's interesting because we had talked about titles and we had talked about the Hebrew title, but a Hebrew title wouldn't mean anything to you. And we talked about various things like that. And we decided, independent of one another, in fact, I got a text from him this morning. It probably came to me last night, but I wasn't picking up any text after about 10 o'clock last night. And I, and I got this text from him this morning that said, hey, I figured out what we should call this. We're calling, I want to call it Under the Sun, and I've already posted it on the website. Well, it's a good thing we came to the same conclusion. <laughs> because independent of one another, we had both decided that we should call this Under the Sun. Because he keeps saying, this and this and this are vanity under the sun. The man's work is worthless under the sun. And he keeps coming back to that phrase, that idea, under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. I want you to watch for that because it's a significant statement in the book. It's significant to him and it will be significant to you, I think, as we go on. And so it's titled this uh, Darkness Under the Sun, The Backroads of Our Memories. Do you remember, a, you remember, do any of you remember Glenn Campbell? Raise your hand if you remember Glenn Campbell. Yeah, see, you're like 50. Glenn Campbell, for those of you who are younger than 50, was a, a, a sort of a crossover country music artist. He did some country music. He did some other pop music. He actually did a classical piece, too, that was, uh, was very popular. But Glenn Campbell does a song <coughs> where he talks about his life and life on the road and sort of this, I don't have to, uh, to commit to anyone. And he's talking about this girl in the song and how he's just going to drift through her life and how he's going to hide his backpack behind her couch. And it's knowing that the door is always open and your path is free to walk that keeps you on the back roads by the rivers of my memory that keeps you ever gentle on my mind. It's amazing what your misspent youth will put in your head, isn't it? But he's that guy living the life that people out there say is the life you're supposed to lead. No cares. It doesn't matter who, who gets hurt. Just live. Just do your thing, man. Tuck your backpack behind the couch. Flop down on, the, flop down on the couch and hope she doesn't feel too bad when you leave. And as, as he begins, as Solomon begins to express his experiences in life, he expresses some of those tendencies Living that life out there with no one to be considerate of or concerned for. It's become epidemic in our world to live that life. That life that really doesn't support, 
concern itself or care a lot about other people. It's become, become a cultural norm. When Glenn Campbell wrote that, he was, he was an oddity. He was an extreme. He was on the edges of the culture. Today, that's getting nearer and nearer the center of the culture. To exploit others for your own benefit has always been a part of mankind's history. But it's becoming more and more the center of our culture. And he writes about it. He comments on it. He talks about his own experience with it and his own experience watching others in it. The back roads of our memories. So today I wanted to, I I made, sometimes you type something into the internet and after you type it in you go, oops, right? This wasn't one of those oopses that just came to your mind. This was a different one. I typed in sad songs. (sighs) You get millions of hits. Sad songs. I just wanted. Now I gave you these ones because these also reflect on my own time period. I tried. I typed in sad songs, 1990s. I didn't know any of them. I should have had my kids there to hum along, give me some lyrics or something. I didn't want to. I, I did not want to dig into the lyrics of a sad song written by Madonna. I'm sorry, just couldn't do it. So in 1969, when I was eight years old, Peggy Lee came out with a song called, Is That All There Is? Is that all there is, my friends? Then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball. If that's all there is, that's all. Is that all there is in this world? Another one uh, I, I think most of you will know. There is nothing sadder than the tears of a clown when there's no one around. Solomon talks about the foolishness of laughter. How tough it must be to be that comedian in your room by yourself without a crowd. The tears of a clown. Rainy days and Mondays do what? Always get me down, down, you bunch of old people. Rainy days and Mondays. It sounds kind of exciting. It's kind of an uplifting tune. Rainy days and Mondays always get me down. The cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, the little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, Dad? I don't know when. We'll get together then. Remember the end of the song? I hung up the phone and it occurred to me. By the way, those of you who have never heard this song, those of you... 40 and under. The song's about a father's relationship with his son that he's never had time for. And he's always putting him off. When I get back from this road trip, son, when I get back to the house, when we, when we get together, when I'm back, we'll get together then. We'll get together then. Dad, can you teach me to, 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 to throw? Not today. Got a lot to do. Son says, it's okay. The last line of the song. As I hung up the phone, he's talking to his son. He's asked his son, when can we get together, son? And the son says, my, ju- my new job's a hassle and the kids are the flu. But it's been sure nice talking to you. As I hung up the phone, it occurred to me. He'd grown up just like This next one? Yeah, they're starting already, aren't they, Bob? 
alone again, naturally. Last line of this song. He said, I'm going to forget the lyrics of this one. I've begun to doubt, and I'll, I'll just summarize it for you, whether or the, the mercy of God, because in, even He has left me alone. Now, if you think these are just things that happened to Solomon, they didn't because all of these songs were written in the last 40, 50 years. It's still true of mankind. We write these things that reflect our experience. So many folks out there are feeling lonely, feeling regret for their their relationships with their family, feeling sad about those days that have blown into their life, the tears that they express after they go home, after they've been at a party with a bunch of friends and they've laughed. And they go home and close the door and tears creep into their eyes. Glenn Campbell's Gentle on My Mind. One of the saddest songs ever written. He stopped loving her today. A broken relationship, a woman that he pursued his entire life, and now he's died. And the line in the song is, now that he's dead, no matter what she did to him, he's finally let go. He stopped loving her today. And this one is a fairly new song, those of you who listen to recent country music. If you're wondering why a lot of these are in the genre of country and folk music, it's because most of the rest of the music that I listen to out there just drives me a little up the wall. I have, yes, become my parents. The song is called I Drive Your Truck. Probably one of the saddest songs that's ever been written again on the radio. It's about a brother whose brother has died. He was a, his brother was a soldier. He was killed. And this is his way of dealing with his grief. When he gets those feelings of loss, he says, I drive your truck. I go, I go out in the fields, I turn up the radio, I just drive your truck. If you ever want to just kind of sit in your car and cry, find that one on XM Radio or something. <laughs> but here's what I want you to get about it. These songs written over the last 50 years represent the hearts of people in our world. And they are so popular. You realize most of these songs made it to number one on the billboard lists. They're so popular because they represent what it means to live in the darkness under the sun. They represent what it means to be a person on the planet where the rules of life are you live and you die. To live on a planet where you can go through 40 years of hard labor trying to pull something out, trying to make it great, and you can lose it all. You can fall in love with someone and love them your entire life, and that love, love may never be returned to you. You can give yourself to what you thought was some great enterprise, and at the end of the day, they'll put a shovel of dirt on your face, 
then that enterprise will fall into the hands of somebody else who doesn't care about it half as much as you. These are the words of Solomon expressed in modern day verse from songwriters like himself. People who feel deeply and are able to find ways to express those feelings in words. Are you depressed yet? This is my fear about Ecclesiastes is that we're going to spend the next two weeks going to counselors saying, I'm so depressed. Every time I go to church, it's killing me. I thought I heard everything the preacher had to say, but man, he's gone to a new low. But the reality is, this is where we live, isn't it? This is our investment in life. These are our experiences. That's why we know the words to those songs. Because all of us have been the clown whose tears are falling. And all of us have been those people whose back road memories leave them stranded. Solomon's record. The album title, Ecclesiastes. Wouldn't that make a great album title? It means the one who gathers. In Hebrew, it just means somebody who gathers together. It's called, he's sometimes called the preacher, the leader of the assembly, the teacher, depending on what version of the Bible you're reading. None of those are really bad translations of the Hebrew. They're kind of a, a way to express a difficult phrase in Hebrew. It means to gather people together, but he's preaching, he's speaking to them. He's gathered them together for a reason. So you might call him the speaker of the house. I like the leader of the assembly. He's the one speaking to them. Sometimes the King James language gets the only uh, merit in our mind. And so when we hear this book, we always think, and this is the, these are the words of the preacher. Well, really, it's the one who has gathered everyone together. Imagine Solomon nearing the end of his life, or at least past his midlife crisis. He's written down his experiences, and he's got around, gathered around the people of Israel, and he says, Man, you guys got to understand what I just went through. You need to know. You need to know where the potholes are. You need to know where the problems are. You need to understand. So just listen for the next 12 chapters, okay? And then he goes. He starts out with the opening song of the album. The opening single is called The Vanity of Life. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. One translator put this, soap bubbles, Soap bubbles. Everything is soap bubbles. It's a good description, isn't it? Soap bubbles are beautiful. They start out and they've got the color of the the sun captured and they're drifting along with the wind and then all of a sudden, and they're gone. You know, they're, they're just, they, they can be really spectacular. I watched the guy in Johnny Carson when I was, oh, probably 16 years old, 17 years old. I watched a guy in Johnny Carson blow a whole bunch of bubbles and then blow a square bubble in the middle of those bubbles. I remember thinking two things. Wow, that's amazing. And what a waste of time. (laughs) This guy had spent hours and hours and hours and hours figuring out the geometry of bubbles. And then he made money at it. I don't know. Soap Bubbles, the opening of the album. Good morning, everybody. We're going to do the first album for my new tune, my new album, or new song for my new album. The album is called Ecclesiastes, and the first song is called Vanity. Vanity. Oh, it's vanity. Doesn't it, shouldn't he just have like a guitar, blues guitar? Oh, 
All is vanity. Jong. Everything is horrible. Jong. He starts us out with that great high note and the, the story doesn't get good till you get to the end. I'm really glad that there's a chapter 12. If it had stopped at chapter 11, I would have expected that he was a suicide case. Finally, we roll through all of his misery and he finally gives us some hope. But the whole time I want you to understand is he is setting all of these things up. He keeps reminding us under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. This is what happens under the sun. This is what happens under the sun. This is what happens under the sun. The background of this man, he is the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. This golden child of David who has this wonderful prayer, which we are just so admiring when he is inaugurated as king. And God says to him after he offers a thousand offerings, a thousand sacrifices, God says to him in a dream, whatever you want, you got it. Solomon, whatever you want, you can have it. And this is Solomon's prayer. Oh, Lord, my God, you have made me made your servant king instead of my father, David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. And he asks God instead of for wealth and, and power. He asks him for wisdom to lead the people of Israel. And it's such a powerful moment, such a significant moment. So important that this is what we hang all of our understanding of Solomon on. He was granted wisdom greater than all the people of his age. And he was given wealth and power to boot. This is the golden child of the golden children. This is David's son. This is the child on the throne of Jerusalem after, after the king who started to describe what it meant to be kings passed the scepter. This would be like George Washington having a son and handing that son the scepter, handing that son the presidency and saying, all right, son, go for it. This is David, the founder of what it means to be Israel. His son, Solomon. Builder of the temple. Establisher of Israel as the leading country of its time. Men and women flowed into Solomon's country from all around the world to hear the words of this wise man, to see the treasures. They said that during Solomon's time, silver was so common, it was as common as road pavement. Now, it's interesting that heaven paves the ground with gold and Solomon paved the ground with silver. He was getting close, not quite there. 10% value, one maybe fifth percent or two percent of the value today. But understand what a powerful, exalted life this man lived. You got to know who Solomon was. It's wild to think of it, but you and I are more like Solomon today in where we live, how we live, the things we're able to do, the things that are gathered in our house than any other Israelite at the time. We live in the wealthiest nation in the world, at least for a little while longer. We live in the most powerful nation in the world, again, at least for a while. We live with more freedom than anybody in the world. We live with personal wealth higher than anybody in the world. We have more stuff. We do more stuff. We see more stuff than anyone before us and almost anyone around us. And we're just what? What do we all call ourselves? Average Americans. 
But here, the golden child, Solomon. You know what the first thing that happens, the first described event, international event? The king of Egypt comes to Solomon and gives his daughter to Solomon to sign a treaty. That is something that a subject does to their higher up. Solomon was seen by the king of Egypt as a greater power than he himself and Egypt. This is the man who writes this reflection, probably in his 50s, maybe in his 60s or 70s, and passes it out to the people of Israel. The text continues, Therefore give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? That's our guy. That's the writer. That's the author of Ecclesiastes. That's who we're going to follow for a while. Verse 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, the king of Israel. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Would you read a book that opened this way? If you go to, the, if you go to Barnes & Noble and you're kind of cruising the bookstore and you grab a book off the shelf and you know it's got a bright red cover or whatever and you pull it out and you think, hey, the cover looks interesting. And the title is Ecclesiastes. You think, hey, they made me all read that. And you open it up and the very first line is, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Would, I wouldn't read it. I'd put it back and find me one that was a little more happy. I'd be looking for one with a little more interest, something because he's given me the conclusion of the book already. He says everything is in vain. Everything is soap bubbles, a chasing after the wind. That's his opener. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil? Where? Under the sun. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets. And what does the sun do after that? Hurries back to where it was rising. It just keeps going round and round and nothing is changed. The wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again out on its circuit. The rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Have you ever had a two-year-old ask you a question or a six-year-old ask you a question? How do all the rivers in the world roll into the ocean and it never gets filled up? Explain evaporation. This is this song for you. Evaporation. Condensation. Precipitation. It's a song. Evaporation and condensation. Precipitation. You're not singing along. The water cycle boogie. Here's Solomon saying, look, nothing is ever resolved. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. The ear is not filled with hearing. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. That's the one we always quote. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there there anything of which it may be said? See, the Apple 6 or or the uh, the iPhone 6, that's new. Sure it is. He continues. 
As we flow through reflections on life, which Solomon remembers under the sun, so let us learn everything from wisdom to madness and to folly. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all this is like what? Chasing the wind. So he tries wisdom and he tries to apply his great mind to everything. And he learns everything he can about wisdom and madness and folly. And he said it was like chasing the wind. Have you ever chased the wind? I used to play baseball. I used to play Little League. And there was a boy on our team. I've mentioned him before. We kept him on the team because his mom made the most wonderful brownies. The coach kept him on the team because he had to. The rest of us let him stay on the team because his mom made amazing desserts. She knew he was terrible. We all knew he was terrible. She brought, candy. She brought dessert every time we had a game. It was her way of saying, thanks for letting him play. Because everybody knew he should be in the bleachers. He's going to get himself hurt. He would go out in right field, which is where you put a kid who was dangerous with a glove on. And he would look around. And you know those, those stories you see, the cartoons where the, there's one kid out in right field looking at the butterflies. Game's over there. That was him. And every once in a while he'd take off after something. You can't see it. You're, you know, you're 30 yards away. All of a sudden you'd see him out in right field. The game's going. There's some pitch coming. And he would go running. And he'd stop. Chasing some bug, chasing some breeze. I don't know, but he never seemed to catch anything. He caught a ball one time after we'd played together for a couple of years. There was such applause in our dugout, you thought he'd hit a grand slam. It was, we were so glad that he, one, he didn't get hurt, and two, he caught the ball. He was so shocked he didn't know what to do with it after that. So much of what we do is like chasing after the wind, like being out there in right field, watching the butterflies while the game's going on. There's dangers. The ball could come at you and hurt you. There's running after things that no one else can see. Solomon says, I tried. I studied it out. I tried to figure it all out. It seemed like chasing the wind to me. Chapter 2, verse 1, I said to myself, come on, let us try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. He's been chasing wind and he tries all the things. He mentions the things that he tried. I mean, he tries everything. This is a guy who has all the means necessary to do all the things he wants to try. He's a dangerous man. Have you ever noticed how many people who become celebrities live miserable lives? It's the story we hear over and over again. You know, somebody we admire, some movie star, some, some, uh, some musician, some athlete, we find out that they're just miserable. They've got all this stuff. How many cars can you actually buy? I've got a car I paid 4500 bucks for. I've been driving it for 11 years. A long time. And you know what happens when he gets in his Maserati and goes to Sacramento? Same thing that happens to me. <laughs> and if I go 80 miles an hour, nobody notices. If he goes 80 miles an hour, he collects policemen. When do you get enough stuff? I have a garage full of stuff. My wife has a tiny little car. We barely can get it in. Eh, stuff. You got stuff? When do we have enough stuff? 
Solomon says, I tried everything. I tried all the good things of life, and I found that that was meaningless too. I undertook great projects. So, okay, gathering stuff isn't all that cool. Let's build stuff. Let's undertake to build great things. Herod the Great. Herod the Great. Okay? The only reason this guy is called the Great, I think, is because he insisted on it as his title. But he built amazing things. You go around Jerusalem today, there are lots and lots of really amazing things that he built during his life. I think he got to the point where he would tried everything else and he decided, I'll just build stuff. I'll just build stuff. I like building stuff. So Solomon tried that. He tried building projects. He built houses. He planted vineyards. He made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees. He says later, I made reservoirs to water them. I said, he did everything. He made this a beautiful place. He did all these building things. And he said, eh, that wasn't such a big deal either. I came to hate my life. Solomon, King David's little blonde-haired boy. Probably had black hair, actually. King David's son with the scepter of Israel in his hand, with people coming to him just to hear the words he speaks. He's so impressive. He said, I came to hate my life. Because everything done here, where? Under the sun. is so troubling. Everything is meaningless. Like chasing the wind. He said, I just couldn't get no satisfaction. I came to hate all my hard work here on the earth, for I must leave to others everything I have learned. So I decided, carpe diem. So I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in your work. Then I realized, ding, that these pleasures are from the hand of God. tried everything I could try. I looked at everything. I, I, I checked out everything. I looked under the hood of everything. I, I built stuff. I had stuff. And I realized, you know what's really good? And by the way, people always, always quote this wrong. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's what the King James says. And so you hear people say this. Oh yeah, Solomon's a party guy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Not what he's saying. He's saying enjoy your food. Enjoy what you have to drink. Enjoy your life. He's saying, really, seize the day. Live, be present in every moment. The longing for tomorrow, the longing for something bigger, the longing for something better, the longing for a different wife, a different husband, smarter kids, has caused us to miss so much. When you're always longing for something else, you can't embrace what you have. This can never be good enough if I want that. He suggests enjoy what you have. Seize the day. Enjoy the day. Remember your creator in the days of your what? You know why you should remember your creator, creator in the days of your youth? 
<laughs> I hope you can hear him, but Bob said, because your memory goes when you're old, you're not going to remember him then. I can't remember what the second thing is. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. You know why? Because you still have your vitality. You still have your mind. Your eyes still see. Your feet still move when you tell them to. You can run fast and jump high. You can see the world that God has created and be blessed in it. He, 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 result, he uh, gives these descriptions in chapter 12. Describing old age. Describing himself, by the way. He said, the keepers of the house tremble. I need to get up here so you can see this. Who are the keepers of the house? They're your strength. They're your muscles. And they begin to tremble. Not like Elvis. I don't want to do Elvis on the church, but you got the picture. Right? The keepers of the house, my strength begins to tremble. The grinders cease. And if you read the rest of the text, it says because there are so few. The grinders. The windows grow dim. Oh, how I miss my eyesight. I get under a car to work. I just first noticed when I was working on a car. I used to be able to lay on a car and work on everything without thinking about it. Now I have to wear glasses to lay under a car and work on a car because everything is too close to be clear. I carry these things around like my little friends. I have a friend who bought me a pair of those, uh, those things that you hang them on your, all around your neck. He bought me those because kept, I kept looking for them and I couldn't find them. I've just been too embarrassed. It feels like an old guy who would carry them around his neck. Someday, maybe I'll get a monocle. If you're 25 years old, you're saying, oh my goodness, we're talking about this for the next 12 weeks? <laughs> yep. <laughs> and consider this a warning. This is like what they've been putting on their packs of cigarettes for all those years. The Surgeon General is aware that you too will be old someday. That's what Solomon's doing. He's giving us a heads up. He's telling us, embrace the good things of God when you're young, while you can enjoy them. Embrace the good things of God before you put the scars on your life that embracing other things will bring you. Embrace the good things of God while you have strength and vitality and a mind and teeth and eyes. Embrace it while you're young. Know that God will examine everything you do. Remember Him, God, before the silver cord is severed. Now, all has been heard. This is the last of the, the, of the book. And yes, we're going to read the last chapter into the other chapters because it'll be too depressing otherwise. Now, all has been heard. In other words, it's the end of my message. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Be in connection and relationship with God and surrender your life to Him for this is what you are called to really do and be. I want to leave you with these things. Things to pack for the trip. For the trip. Number one, the lure of something better is always with us. 
the lure of something better is always with us. Every commercial you've ever watched basically relies on this reality of humankind. The lure for something better is always with us. You don't have to fight this. Just be aware of it. Just be aware that sometimes your crazy head is just going to get, get the best of you. The lure for better things, the lure for something better is always going to be with us. But can I remind you that the lure for something better might cost you to miss the blessing of the present. Live where you are. Seize the day. Be present. You must be present to win. Number two, temptation to go for it is usually stronger than the realization of the consequences. Sometimes it's somebody else standing behind you going, go ahead, go for it. Because their legs aren't in danger. They're not the ones jumping off the bridge. They're letting you go first. Number three, if you go for it without God, it will probably end up empty and unsatisfying. Ultimately, what you're looking for is going to be wrapped up in your relationship with God. Whether you're 15, 51, or 110, it doesn't really change. We're all looking for the same thing. We're looking for something bigger. We're looking for something more significant. We're looking for something with more purpose to give our heart and our lives and our mind to. We have this one life. Why not spend it on something that is going to outlive us? We have this one life. Why not spend it doing something that will change the world? We have this one life. Why not spend the breath we have left glorifying God, benefiting people, touching those who will be changed for their eternity, doing something that will mean somebody's in the kingdom when we're done. Saving a life. Shoot, saving an eternal life. Now that's something we're spending your life doing. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are grateful to be allowed the opportunity to look into Solomon's heart. Help us not to be discouraged as we wander the streets with him, the back roads of his memory. Help us to realize that this is an offering from you to help us, to guide us, to provide us with a road map that will take us ultimately into your arms. Thank you for your grace expressed to us in this most unusual way. In Jesus' name, amen.